Well, good morning again. You do not want to miss next week because maybe at the conclusion of this series, Joel will figure out what the title is. And if you haven't figured it out yet, the title is I Don't Know, where we're talking about different topics and different views in the world that sometimes leave us with the answer, I'm not sure. I don't know. And we've been talking about how it's okay to have some doubts in some areas, but there are also some areas where God's Word makes it really clear on what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to believe. In 1974, Burger King coined the phrase, have it your way, you were met way better than first service. I don't think they've ever watched TV or anything, you know, or, they were, or maybe they were all really young. I don't know. One of the two. 1974, Burger King coined the phrase, have it your way, and they don't really use that slogan anymore in ads, but we all know, <clears throat> we all know that that's from Burger King, because there's something about the human spirit that makes us want to do what? Have it our way. I want it my, not your way, I want my way. Our youngest, who is now 13, The first three words she learned were mine, mine, mine. And that's all she said for many months. Mine, mine, mine. And there's something about from that little age we learn that, hey, I want my stuff my way. Some people never grow out of that. In fact, most of us don't. So we want the world around us to be our way. Historians have cataloged about 3,000 different religions or different deities over the last 4,000 years. And that's not counting religions that have multiple deities. So 3,000 plus deities, which is the way that mankind reaches out beyond himself. And I think the reason there's so many is because we just say, I I want it my way. I want to have it the way I want to have it. Jesus says some stuff in the New Testament that I wouldn't, have had, I wouldn't have said it that way. I would have said it differently, or I would, have, I would have said it to a different audience. And maybe you've read the words of Jesus and thought, wow, that's, that's kind of harsh. That sounds a little narrow. And the words that we're going to read from Jesus today, as he's speaking to his disciples 2,000 years ago, sound countercultural to what we see played out in our world. And they sound a little bit like, wow, Jesus, what were you thinking by saying that? In John chapter 14, there's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one. It's yours to keep. If you would like to just borrow it and turn it back in, you can do so in the back on the way out. If you want a Bible in your hand, you do that. The page numbers are on the screen, or you can just read along on the screen as well. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus' disciples were concerned that... They, they were concerned where Jesus was going. They were concerned they were going to be alone. They were concerned about what comes next. And Jesus says to them, in part of his explanation of what comes next, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now what Jesus is saying is, without me, you will never know God. Now, if I came up to you in, in, in the hallway and I said, hey, do you believe, do you agree with what Jesus said in John 14, 6? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He is the only way. 
Yes. But see, we have these things. If we want people to tell the truth, we give anonymous surveys. If we want people to tell the truth really about what they believe, you don't have them put their name on it. And they'll, they'll tell you, you'd be amazed what people will tell you when they can do so anonymously. The Pew Research Group do, does these studies, and it's all anonymous. And what they found when they surveyed American churches, people in American churches, 70% said, I'm not sure if Jesus is the only way. Now, if I say that in here, you're like, this is church. Of course, I believe Jesus is the only way. But there's a large percentage of people who call themselves a Christian, a follower of Christ, that would say, I'm not really sure that Jesus is the only way to the Father. See, with with all of our exposure to world religions and other ways of viewing the world, it's easy to think, Jesus, wouldn't it have been much easier if you just said, any way you want to do it, it'll just get you there? Just choose your path. It's all good. It'll all get you there. There wouldn't have to be any talk of heaven and hell and consequences. You could just choose because you find this thing deep inside of you that makes you want to reach out. You follow that and everything's going to be okay. But then Jesus comes along and complicates things by saying, no, I am the only way. If you want to have a relationship with the one true God, I am the only way. Was he being judgmental? Because these words are part of what has gotten throughout the years, Christianity, the, the bad rap of being this narrow, judgmental religion. I mean, the first part when he says, I'm the way, truth, and life, nobody gets upset about that. But if you start saying, Nobody comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. That, that can get, that sounds, that sounds intolerant. And we live in a culture of tolerance for everything except being intolerant. You don't have to tolerate that. But is Jesus being intolerant? Is he saying, look, it's me or no way. It's my way or the highway. And it goes deeper than just being intolerant. Does God care about people as much as I do? Does he care about people who are born in places where Christ is not part of the culture? Does he care about people who are born in the bush or in the desert or countries where you can't even say the name of Christ? Or maybe like like I experienced when I was in Ecuador a couple of weeks ago through a conversation with one of the church leaders there. He said there are people in villages out in the Amazon who have never seen white people, have never, never heard the name of Christ, have never seen anybody of any other race but their own. Seems kind of harsh for Jesus to say, hey, I'm the only way, and if you live out in the bush and you don't find me, too bad. What about the billions of Hindus or Buddhists? So Jesus is the only way to God. According to one research, 70% of you don't believe it. 70%. Now that's probably the 70% who spends a lot of time watching things like Oprah, who has clearly stated that Christianity is this narrow religion that she doesn't want any part of because, hey, as in her words, I just can't get with a God that's that narrow-minded. So what you need to do, you need to search deep, 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 deep down inside. And somewhere down in there, you're going to find 
the essence of God inside of you. Well, that sounds fun. It sounds good. And, and why not? Because that sounds much more accommodating than saying this way is the only way. So if you're in that 70%, whether you would admit it or not, here's something you need to know. All religions are not the same. I mean, people would tell you that today. All religions, they're basically the same. Have you ever seen that game show Deal or No Deal? I don't think it's on anymore, but you know, it's where the person stands and they somehow gamble to figure out which, which case has the most amount of money in it. Part of me, when I would watch that, I would think, okay, the truck driver from New Jersey needs to win the million dollars. And you would like hope that he would pick the right case and say, no, not number seven, number 12. You got to pick the other one. And it wouldn't be much of a show if everybody always won. But if, it was, if I had my way, I would just let everybody win. And a lot of people think religion is like that. When the cases are opened, everybody gets the same prize because all religions and philosophies, well, basically they're just the same. And they lead you to the same place. It sounds kind of loving to say that, doesn't it? Oh, you just love outside of yourself. Don't hurt anyone. Be nice to trees. And when it's all over, you're going to be wherever you want to be. But all religions are not the same. Take Orthodox Judaism, for example. There are 613 different commands to obey. I would not be a very good Jew. 613. Islam has the five pillars, while less than 613, your ability to obey the five pillars determines where you spend eternity, in paradise or the other place. If you are Buddhist, then you are looking for this ultimate goal of nirvana that you can get to by working through what they call a distinction of desire. And if you can get to nirvana, which is really just a state of nothingness, then you've achieved what you need to achieve. And people who are Buddhists are very peaceful, loving, calm people because they're going for this, ah, this state of nothingness. That's what that's what Steve Jobs was. He was a devout Buddhist. Hinduism, you work your way to heaven by becoming one with Brahma, this all-prevailing force in the universe, and you achieve this oneness by living a very moral life. Religions fall down into a couple different categories. They're either legalistic, which means there's a set of rules that you must obey, and your ability to and desire to obey those rules determines what you get after this life. So if I am able to keep all of these things, and I'm able to do them correctly, and I'm able to do them in the right way, then I get something for that. And the love of whatever deity that I am worshiping and performing these, these rules for is determined by how good I am at keeping rules. That's legalism. That, that the love from God or whatever deity a person's worshiping is based on their ability to perform. Then there's determinism. is another category you could put major world religions in. And that just means that it's all kind of set in motion by this energy force, by this God. And you may have this illusion of choice 
But really, it was all determined long before you were ever born. And there's really nothing you can do to change your fate. So just live it up. Have some fun. Enjoy life. Because God predetermined it all and decided it ahead of time. So all, all religions aren't the same. They don't end up in the same place. They're either, either legalistic or deterministic or, in most cases, a combination of the two. But there's a third option. And that's the option Jesus is talking about when you peel back the layers behind his statement of him being the only way to the Father. And that option is relational. Because relationship answers the problems that come with legalism and determinism. When I was in the seventh grade, I had this teacher, Mr. Pack. And when I went into Mr. Pack's class, Mr. Pack looked like a military sergeant, spoke like one, and he had a list of rules on the board, and he gave them to you. And if you did not obey them, that was back in the days when kids could actually be disciplined, and they would, he would pull out this long board, and he didn't have to ask mommy or daddy. He would just let you have it if you broke one of those rules. I did not become friends with Mr. Pack. I don't have warm, fuzzy feelings about Mr. Pack. In fact, he didn't, he didn't allow people to put pencils in their pocket because when you sat down, it scratched these beautiful chairs he had, whatever. And so everybody would put pencils in their pockets on purpose just to see what would happen. He created, by putting up all of these rules and being this cold, calculated person, a group of rebellious kids. And then I had this other teacher, Mrs. Stone. And the first day of class in Mrs. Stone class was quite different because Mrs. Stone would say, hey, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your family. Tell me about some of your dreams. It's like, hey, thanks. You want to know about me? And all of a sudden, Miss Stone was developing relationships. Which class do you think had the least amount of rebellion? The one where the relationships were developed. Because rules without a relationship creates rebellion. If you don't believe that, try to tell your teenager what to do without having a relationship with them. It will not work. It will create a rebellious person. You've got to have the relationship. And that's what God, from the very beginning, has sought to have with mankind. If you read the book of Genesis, chapters 1 and 2, when he's creating the world, he puts this perfect world together. He puts these two perfect people on it. And then he places this tree that whatever it looked like must have been the most beautiful tree in the world. It had the most beautiful fruit on it. And then he said, leave that one alone you got to imagine, they're like, what? God, look at that. that. Leave it alone. What do you mean, leave it alone? And our minds think, well, why would God put something there so beautiful that was so powerful and yet say, don't touch it? Because God desires relationship with people. And that requires love. And true love can't, res can't exist without a choice. God could have not put the tree there and just says, you are to love me. And they would have said, yes, God, we love you. How do you know if someone loves you if they don't have a choice? So even God understands there must be a choice if there's going to be love. Now they chose wrong, but they came back into relationship with him. And then mankind was in and out of a good relationship with God because they had choice. But that's how important relationship is to God. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verse 11, 
It says, this command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand. And it's not beyond your reach. It's not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask. Who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey? It's not kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask. Who will cross the sea to bring it to us so we can hear it and obey? No, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. And then he goes on in verse 19 to say, I have set before you life and death as choices. Oh, that you would choose life. See, the statement by Jesus that he's the only way, it's a relational statement. It's not a command. It's not a rule to obey. It's not predetermined. It's a relational statement And Jesus is just summing up what God was all about throughout the Bible. God wants you to choose life. Because it feels great to be chosen, doesn't it? Guys, what if when you asked your wife, your girlfriend to marry you, and you said, will you marry me? And she goes, I guess you'll do. You know, getting up there in years and... Uh, why not? Nobody else is asking, so yeah, you, you'll do. Give me the ring. You would say, well, no thanks. I'd go back to the jewelry store and get my money back. I want you, I want you to choose me. Had Cinda said that to me when I you know, got on one knee and said, would you marry me? If she'd have said, you'll do. I would have been like, are you kidding me? I'll do? I'll do? I want you to choose me the way I've chosen you. That's what makes relationships work, is choice. And God is saying, choose life. You have both choices in front of you. You can choose life or death, but oh, God's in your corner saying, choose life. Do the right thing. So what about those people in China or the backwoods of of a country somewhere that have never heard a sermon who grow up worshiping their ancestors or some idols. And what about them? That's a legitimate question. So Jesus says, you can't come to the Father except by me, but hey, if you haven't heard about me, too bad. The truth is, if you look deeply into Scripture, God has a hand and influence on every person in the world. Now that's hard to put into words. It's hard for us to comprehend It's hard to understand, and and it makes us say, I I don't know how that works. But no matter where somebody is in the world, God has influence in their life. No matter what we see on the outside, somehow, through some way, God is working. It says so in the book of Acts, chapter 17. The Apostle Paul is speaking to some philosophers and some deep thinkers, and he says this. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. He determined the times set and the exact places for them. That's saying that God chose the time and the place for every single person on the planet. Whether you're born in Afghanistan, Iraq, Sudan, God chose... And it goes on to say, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. 
For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. He's saying that God is seeking out every person on the planet to receive his grace and find another way that's not legalistic or deterministic, but to find a relationship. Now, how is that true for somebody who's Muslim or Hindu or some other religion? I don't know. And, and you don't. You just have to admit, I, I don't know how that works. But I do know that God determines, and the Bible says that God determines who's going to be where and when they're going to be there. And some of you are here today at this place right now because God wanted to make sure that you would find him. God wanted to make sure you would hear this. And what you think is a a chance invitation from a friend. What you think is just, hey, I was driving down the road and I saw your sign and because the sign was there, I came in. What you think is just a carefully placed card in your mailbox. What you think are just coincidences are all part of God's plan to pursue the hearts of people to have a relationship with him. And God does that for everyone, even people who aren't in our culture. Somehow, in some way that we don't even understand, he's working. In my life, the initial turn that I took, the the initial turn towards Christ came because of one comment by a person who lived very far from God and still lives very far from God 22 years later. It was my roommate in college. He looked at me one early morning after a few nights of sleeplessness and doing things we shouldn't have been doing and he said, man, you got to get a hold of yourself. And I remember going, what? You're telling me? And you get a hold of my, you need to get a hold of yourself. But that one statement, then stacked on top of that one statement, was a theologically incorrect tract placed under my wiper blade. And whatever reason, I opened it up and read it. I didn't know it was incorrect at the time, but it scared me to death. And those little things God used, a person far from God, a tract that was theologically incorrect. God used those things to help me take steps towards him. And there are things in your life that you don't even realize that God is using to bring you closer into a relationship with him so you can have that choice. Life or death, what am I going to choose? Romans 1 verse 20 says this, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So in some hard to understand way, God seeks out each person and gives them a choice. So when Jesus said, look, I'm the way, nobody comes to the Father except through me, he's not saying, look, if you choose any other path, you're toast. Go back and listen to the hell sermon last week. You choose another path, you're gone, you're out of here. This is a relational statement. To Jesus, this is good news. It's good news that he's the only way. Because in Jesus' teaching, he's revealing this God who will search for us. 
And if you've ever lost your cell phone right before you leave the house, you know what it means to search. I mean, right? Put the world on hold. I can't find my phone. Recruit the whole family. I'm lining everybody up. Get through the house. You start upstairs. I'll start downstairs. We're going to meet in the middle, and we're going to find my phone because I'm having trouble breathing. Let's search. And you're probably the same way. Much more intently, God will search for people. And God will look and he'll, he'll do anything that he can to get you to where you have to make the choice. Do I choose life or do I choose death? In Luke 15, Jesus tells these three short stories that, that if you just read them, you're not sure what he's talking about. But he's, he's talking about God. And he's revealing what God's heart is like for people. And he uses three different situations. The first one is the story of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. And one of the sheep wanders off. And the shepherd leaves 99 sheep in an open desert to go and find the one that wandered off. And then he tells the story of a woman who lost a coin. And it wasn't just any coin. It was, it was what made her valuable. It would have been handed down to her from her mother or her grandmother. And it was what she held up to say, hey guys, I'm available. Look at my coin. She lost it, which represented her ability to attract a husband, which would have been representative of her livelihood. And the the story goes that she tore the house apart, looking everywhere for this coin. And then he tells the story of of a dad who has to listen to his son say, Dad, I care more about the money than you, and I'd like for you to give it to me and let me go on with my life. And the dad does, and the boy goes and squanders all the money away in a foreign country and dishonors his father. And in each one of those stories, there's a search. There's a search for a sheep, a coin. And then the story of the son has a little twist on it because the father doesn't go out searching. He just stays at home and he watches and he waits. And when he sees the son coming back home, he runs to him. The shepherd picks up the sheep, puts it on his shoulders, and takes it back to the 99 and puts it back where it's supposed to be. The lady who finds the coin invites all of her friends and says, Hey, I'm on the market again. Let's have a party. I found my coin. In each one of those, something that had value was found. And if you've ever lost anything of value, you will look. And God thinks you're so valuable that he will search and search and search and give you choice after choice after choice to have a relationship with him. See, you've been the sheep. I've been the coin. I've been the kid who messed up again and again. And so have you. And Jesus is making this relational statement that I am the way to the Father And what he's really saying is, I have come for you. See, Buddha didn't come for anybody. He didn't show up for people. In fact, in Buddhism, there's a story that's very similar to the the story of the son and the father. Except when the son comes home, knocks on the door. Hey, dad, I spent all the money. Can I come home? I'm paraphrasing. But the dad tells him, yeah you got to work for 20 years to work off 
all of your sin. Sounds like legalism. You want to be back in this family? Boy, you're going to work for 20 years to earn it back. And when Jesus is revealing God's heart, Jesus paints the picture of a father who runs down the driveway to meet his son and puts him right back in the family like it never happened. See, Jesus came for us. That's what makes this relationship far superior to any other way to reach out to God. So it's not bad news that Jesus says, I'm the only way. It's good news because he is the only one who has come for us. He's the only one that came that said, I'm here to give my life so you can have this relationship with the one true God. So it doesn't sound fatalistic to say, Jesus is the only way. He's the only way there. That's good news. Because the only way there is in the arms of the only one who came to search for us. So it's great news that Jesus is the only way. You don't have to explain it away or, or be concerned that, oh, that kind of looks bad on Christianity to say, oh, we're the only way. And he doesn't say we're the only way. He says, I am the only way. The person of Jesus. And he offers us perfection. Not forced not earned, but given. And it's through the lens of a relationship with Christ that now God looks at us. So no longer does God see this person who has goofed up, messed up, and made all these horrible mistakes. The Bible talks about us being in Christ. That means in a relationship with Him. Here's the way it describes it in Galatians chapter 3. So in Christ... Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. I'm the only way means that you get a get with Jesus. Your faith gets you there. And look at this verse. You're sons of God through faith. All of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. In this verse, the way it talks about baptism as, as a clothing, it, it literally means sinking into. And, and once a month, or whenever anybody asks, you have an opportunity, for those of you who have placed your faith and trust in Christ, to do what you're going to see people do in a few minutes, and that's be baptized. And then when a person who is lost, when a person who is directionless gets this direction and this relationship with God, and they're in Christ... No longer does God count men, your sins against you. He looks down and he sees the perfection of Jesus Christ. That's the story of the gospel and that's how Jesus is the only way. And I want to get on that only way if I'm not on it. Because it's about that relationship with Jesus who now God views you through. And if I want God to view me through perfection then I need to get with Jesus. So if you showed up today feeling a little lost, feeling like, is life going to get any better? If you showed up again thinking, why do I keep going back? Why do I keep showing up? Something's drawing you here. It's God giving you the choice. And today, maybe your choice is, all right, today we're going to make the decision and the marriage is going to honor God. Today we're going to make the decision and these children are going to be children who honor God or else. 
Maybe you're going to make the decision and say, okay, I'm making the choice that I'm not going to let my bad attitude rule my life. Making the choice that I'm no longer going to keep all this stuff hidden inside and the things I do and think that nobody knows about, I'm done. I'm going to make the choice for life. See, the good news is Jesus said, hey, I'm the way out of that stuff. I would love to talk to you more about it. Rob and I are going to be at the end of each of these aisles as we close out today. And as Sarah plays and sings, you can either sing along or you can just listen. And if if you're ready to take that step of faith and follow Christ in baptism, come and tell us. If you just say, hey, I, I want to make the right choice today, whatever that is for you, come down and talk to us. Let us pray with you and guide you through that decision. If you're not comfortable walking down front while we're all in here, just wait till everybody goes and come on down. We'll just stay for a few minutes and wait and pray. If you have children in our children's area, please go get them as soon as we dismiss so we can start the baptism service. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for being a God who comes for us. And Father, for the person that's sitting in their seat right now, knowing that they need to make a change, knowing that they need just to say, pray for me, pray with me. Give them the courage just to walk down and say, I need help. I want to choose Christ. And God, for that person who has seen baptism video after baptism video and just keeps saying they're not ready, give them the courage to be ready today. I pray this in Jesus' name.